0: It's the Deadline Junkies podcast with your hosts, Jordan Emiola, Kirsten Porter, and Rand Shaman.
1: Today we have two guests, Kaz and Ryan Furpo. They wrote the newly released Marvel film Eternals, which hit theaters on November 5th. Welcome, guys.
2: Thank you, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here. Really excited to talk to you guys.
0: <laughs> uh, so our first question for you is: how and when did you two start writing together?
3: So we are cousins. So I've known Kaz since he was born and He's known me since I've been a little bit older than that. And, uh, and so we always had kind of this un- unofficial collaboration growing up, where I would write stories and share them with him, and he would write stories, share them with me. And, and then um, at some point, we even made like little films together, basically like Lego stop animation and other little things that we did with TV cameras and, and iMovie. Um, and then we kind of both, uh, when we started working professionally, we went different routes. I stayed on the West coast and Kaz, he went to NYU um, on the East coast and started working in commercials uh, shortly after that. And I kind of went more of sort of like a, like an independent film route. I was making like these independently produced documentaries um, and, uh, and he was doing his commercials. And after, after so long of this, we both were feeling kind of burnt out and we're kind of feeling like It's not like, we're not getting closer to our goal of of making our own movies, our own scripted movies. And so that's when Kaz kind of called me up and said, hey, we've always had this unofficial collaboration. Like, let's collaborate officially on something and let's write a movie together that we can go and make, you know, and you could raise some money and I could raise some money and we can just do something for like a million bucks. We wrote this script called Ruin, which was our first official collaboration. Mm -hmm. And we had plans to go make it. And then um, through a series of happenstance, uh it ended up in the hands of Sam Warren, who is a manager at LBI and who became our manager. And he and he signed us based off that script. And then he basically shotgun blasted that along with his partner, Harry Langsfield. And we had basically like 75 meetings in like five weeks. And that that script ended up getting optioned. Um and that would like launched our Hollywood career basically. But had we had we gone the path of making it, I think we might we probably could have raised a million dollars. um, because at the time, I had just made a, an independently produced documentary, a feature length documentary about online poker that was financed entirely from um, these uh, online poker kids, like a bunch of guys who were like, you know, super young and just had made, made millions of dollars for online poker and just didn't know what to do with their money. So they were very free in, in putting together a budget for me to make that feature. And so we had the idea that we could go back to them again um, and try to and try to do something with them, along with some of Kaz's connections that he had made through uh, commercials. And so, uh, so that was that was that was our plan. Um, and it just got derailed by um, by this whole Hollywood, uh, this whole Hollywood um, adventure that we're on now. <laughs> Let me yeah. jump in here for
2: some like strong context. Like we both, I grew up on a dirt road. Uh, in the country, and chopped firewood for warmth. And we didn't have like an uncle we could call for Hollywood. We didn't have agents. We didn't have managers. Uh, I went to NYU Film School. I shot weddings and bar mitzvahs to put myself through college, and worked three jobs at NYU. And so, no, it wasn't a matter of like, yes, I will call my wealthy uncle and we'll we'll make a movie. It was a matter of we wrote a script and we said to ourselves, no one's going to give us a hundred million dollars to make that epic that I have sitting on the shelf. You know, those five scripts I wrote before I got here, but I knew that, you know, look, I I've been making commercials professionally for years. And you want to talk about frustrated producers. There's a long laundry list <laughs> of people who end up there, but more importantly, it really came down to look, uh, there's a lot of ways to make a movie. Uh, I'm a French citizen. We qualify for the EU grant. And the dream was really like, let's make something that's small enough That we have control that we don't have to wait for other people to say yes you have permission to make your film now i've read it here's your permission it was really like if you can cobble together enough i mean ruin is a script just by way of context it takes place with two actors in the woods like the majority of the film is just two people standing around and and talking about this stuff and that was the jump um but we married it to a genre you know to a time period and a place in time that brought a lot of historical context to it so that's really our journey for us it was Starting by, and I I tell this to film students and in meetings all the time, just anyone who wants to make movies, it's like, write something that you love and are really passionate about. Don't write something that you think other people will love. Um, Not only is it very transparent, um, it's just there's something that's missing when you try to tell stories for somebody else. I think that that's true on the biggest levels when you're doing a $200 million movie like Eternals. And it's true when you're writing a $200,000 movie like Ruin, you know? And then we wrote that script because we believe we could make it and i think that's a really important thing is that you you have a different you know state of mind when you're writing a movie for yourself
4: yeah that's awesome um so where you were growing up that's the bay area right did both of you grow up in the bay area
3: yeah we lived within like uh 40 minutes of each other uh in the bay kaz was in like um west marin kind of living in this little uh Ah, uh, cabin in the woods, basically, and then I grew up in uh, Benicia, which is in the East Bay, which is kind of like this funky little kind of suburb uh, with a strong artistic community.
4: Ah, and how did that those areas inspire you, and especially to get into film? Because I know that's not a film-heavy area. So how do you get you know inspired to make these films without people around you making
3: films? I mean you know, it's not LA, but there is, there is a film scene in the Bay Area. Uh, you know, there's, it's, but it's a lot of people just really trying to raise like, you know, 10 grand to make their feature that they've been trying to, that they wrote like 20 years ago. So it's not, um, it's not a very like commercialized or active, um, film scene, but there are people who, who, who had made movies or were trying to make movies. So, um, so, so we, so we were kind of aware of, of film, you know, it's not like we just grew up in, you know, the middle of Alaska or something like that. Um, but um, actually like Kaz, Kaz's um, parents, you know, his, his mom was a sound mixer who actually worked um, on a lot of uh, film productions in in the Bay Area. So um, she, was, she was actually one of the first female sound mixers, I think, to be in the union, if, that's, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so we kind of knew a little bit about the scene um, through her and, and through his dad a little bit. Um, and uh, and but really, the inspiration to like get into movies just came from uh, a love of movies and a love of storytelling. I think we were both like pretty heavy readers um, when we were younger. A cast still is not, still is today. I'm kind of like I'm just too, I'm I've kind of tapered off and I don't have time to read anymore. But um but anyway, uh, yeah, we just we just loved uh, telling stories and film uh, was a really cool opportunity to tell a story. But then you're using a lot of tools beyond the written word you know and you're using um you're having to make something uh realize something in real life which becomes its own fun creative challenge um and it becomes a social activity like that was another big part too is like making movies with our friends when we were younger and uh, and just, that was like the most fun that we we'd ever had um and so it was so really i think like even moving forward becoming professional it's always been about kind of trying to recapture that feeling of just being in the backyard making a movie with your friends on, on the family tv camera
1: Nice. Nice. And circling back to Eternals, what was your relationship with Marvel before you got involved? Were you big comic book fans?
2: I personally wasn't, to be perfectly honest. And I would just add to that last part, you know, San Francisco actually had a huge film boom, especially in like when we were growing up. Um, This is not to defend San Francisco, I actually think San Francisco has changed a lot. But when we were growing up, you know, I was literally in elementary school, they were shooting like Nash Bridges. Um, car scenes, like chase scenes outside my elementary school, like every day. You know, I'd like walk to school and they'd be like, the street would be closed off and then like The Rock would be shooting and they'd be shooting like Michael Bay chase scenes on the streets. And, you know, that time period was really exciting for San Francisco. I mean, there was like Godzilla. It was just like nonstop. And it was just something that like, because San Francisco is such a small city, you know, like New York, they're shooting, like I went to school in New York for 10 years and I lived in New York for 10 years and went to school out there. And there might be a dozen productions, two dozen productions in New York City on a given day, and you won't see it because it's so massive, you know? But in San Francisco, it's like, oh my God, they're shooting it on a Fisherman's Wharf. Like you'd run down and watch them crash the cars together. And so that definitely gave you proof positive of what is possible uh, with movie magic. But more, I think far more importantly, we really lived through this golden age of home movies. You know, I think now everyone has a supercomputer in their pocket that can shoot, write, edit, direct, VFX, color grade, a whole movie. In your pocket, like literally an iPhone could do that. And Soderbergh's proving it every day, but we lived in this area with like mini DBs, you know, where you could literally record for like 150 dollars on this camera and then like capture it through a firewire cable into your mom's laptop and like you could make a movie and it was a really exciting time and if you want to be honest like how he got into storytelling it was just making movies with our friends in the backyard i think anyone is listening to this you know you either there's like a lot of different ways you get into cinema and it's funny to me because in some places it's like well you just loved movies so much you started reading about them and writing about them and you didn't have that like ragtag group of misfit friends to go shoot them in your backyard with or you just took your borrowed camera and you said okay you're the thief and you're the, the hero and you're the robber and now like in action you know and i made dozens of movies And it was just such a great experience just watching an audience go like laugh and smile and cheer at the stuff that you were doing. And that's such an addictive feeling. And it's something we're chasing all our lives, you know, even on the big, big screen. I was there opening weekend with Eternals, you know, in a baseball cap, sitting in the back right corner of the Chinese theater on opening night. And it was like sold out front row, half the audience is dressed up. And, you know, I don't think anything's better than that Um, because a lot of these ideas are so much of Eternals um, so much of us in that film. So as far as it goes to comics, to answer your real question, Jordan, um, I wasn't a huge comic book reader. You know, reader. Uh, they were a magical art form. I have a lot of love for that art form, but for me, it was like action figures and fantasy books. And I think that that's what I would always tell people. It's like if you want to tell great stories you don't need to just watch movies you need to live an interesting life you know you need to chase the things that you love and go work in archaeological digs in egypt for four months and study you know ballet and watch operas and just chase art you know because i think if you only watch movies you'll tell stories that are just movies and i don't know if that's as interesting as telling stories about life so we have a lot of love for everything that you know jim kruger and alex ross who did earth x which is one of the big runs that we were inspired by for eternals but I think it's an art form that, like many things, there's a lot of ways into it.
0: Yeah, your your passion is so palpable. I love it. Could you walk us through the process of how you got involved with making eternals?
3: Yeah, so so we wrote the script Ruin that got us meetings with everybody all over town. And you know, we did like these like 80 meetings in like five weeks or whatever it was. And um, and so one of those meetings was just a general meeting with Nate Moore, um, who at the time was just uh, I think he just started or was just about to start filming Black, Black Panther. Um, and um, and we basically, and so they hadn't started filming Infinity War yet um, and Endgame, but they knew like where it was going to go. And they obviously knew that phase three was ending and that they were going to have to think about what they're going to do for phase four. So we ended up having a conversation all about what phase four could be. Um, and it was just one of those really good meetings where everybody just kind of clicked and we were all just kind of like feeding each other ideas and it was it was just a, a combination a chemistry where we all made each other better basically in the room, even though we weren't talking about any like hard um, pitches or hard storylines about where it could go just the general feeling was very um, fluid and fertile. For the imagination and so so it was a really good meeting um and obviously anytime you meet with marvel like that's really exciting um so we kind of wondered what would come of that but then you know months weeks go by and you don't hear anything and you just sort of like forget about it and kind of go on with your life um and then that year at the end of the year we ended up winning the blacklist with ruin and we also sold uh this spec script to netflix called mimi Me from rio uh, that same week. So we just had this like crazy year where everything just clicked and everything uh, went right. And, um, and then going into the following year, which was 2017, or 2018, excuse me. Um, early in the year, we got a call from from Nate basically and said, Hey, I have this kind of crazy idea uh, that I'd love to, to pitch you guys. And so we then we came in to meet him for only the second time. And um, it was Eternals. And that's hey.
4: Yeah, um, so yeah, Eternals has been out for a little while now. And you know how, how exciting is it for you guys to see it? I mean, you kind of already touched on this. How exciting is it to see a Marvel movie with your name out there and to see it on the big screen?
3: Yeah, I think it's like a, it goes in stages, you know, or in waves, you know, like at, at first, you can't really comprehend the what it's going to be like, the experience of releasing a movie on this kind of scale and having this many people see it. So, you, so I just kind of went in with like a blank mind being like, well, we're just going to see what happens here. And, um, and then, and then as it's kind of settles in and you, and you go to the premiere and you, and then you, and then you go to like these um, general screenings with the general audience and you start to see it uh, impacting all these people and you read the stuff online. Um, then, yeah, it was, it was incredibly uh, exciting. Um, and, you know, I was really, we came from more like an independent film background, especially me. I really thought that I would only be ever be an independent filmmaker and didn't even know if I would ever work in Hollywood or for studios and whatnot. So I never imagined that this many people would ever see one thing that I had any part in, in creating. Um, and I think like the really, so that in just in terms of the waves, the thing that's starting to settle in now, is just like realizing like like that this, um, movie is part of like a legacy and it's part of a, um, a film like lexicon and the same way that star Wars was for me when I was a kid. Now, this is going to be like that for, for other people. Cause that's been the really exciting thing too, is like, I have some friends um, who have, who have kids, you know, who are like teenagers or preteens and they have just been like loving this movie. And so I'm kind of realizing, Oh yeah, like that, Them seeing this is like, for me, like when I was seeing, like, um, when I was seeing star Wars for the first time, or when I saw the matrix, for example, like, this is like, this is that milestone for them. And that's a really um, incredible feeling and and, um, and something that um, I really, quite frankly, never thought that um, I would be part of. So thank you, Marvel. <laughs>
2: yeah, and what I would just say is that for me, I, you know, I went to art school. I maybe shared the Scorsese view of Marvel for a long time. And when I started to sit down and like watch them, I really, really did sit down right before we pitched Kevin. We watched about like 17 Marvel movies back to back in a row to like really, sur- you know, just surround ourselves and submerge ourselves in the universe. And I've just found so much to love. But more importantly, you know, I studied classics in, in college. And one of the things that I really loved it's just that revelation that this is for so many people just a continuation of those stories we've been telling for 2,000 years about gods that are fallible making mistakes with superpowers shooting lightning out of their hands i mean it's the same old stories that the greeks were telling and the difference is that today i think they've taken on this role in society as kind of like a shared monomyth you know they're a way for a whole generation to sort of have a shared mythology that we keep track of, that represents good, that represents evil, and I think they've really become a lot more than anyone could have ever expected, and it's not because yeah, sure, there's millions and millions of dollars being pumped into prints and advertising to make us see this everywhere, and to love it, but I also think because they hold this special place in the human story that people really care about seeing. Um, it's easier to be human when the gods are fallible, you know? I think mean, that's something that I feel pretty strongly about. So, especially with Eternals, to tackle that head-on, I mean, we're incredibly. Really proud of the movie. I think it's one of the biggest, craziest, weirdest movies ever made in Hollywood. And, and sort of a chance to make the most, the most of anything is an honor. And certainly to make a very strange movie. Um, in such a big machine. It's a movie that I think is going to have a lot of life. I think people are going to remember it. So it's, it's for sure, you know, when you set out to tell stories, it is nice when people watch them.
1: Chloe Zhao did an amazing job directing this. What was it like working with her? Did you meet with her all the time? Was it like once a month? What was the process?
3: Uh, so Chloe, yeah, so we came on internals um, basically first. And so we wrote a couple of drafts before, before Chloe came on. And, and then, and so when they, when Nate told us it was going to be Chloe, we were just incredibly excited because we had seen the writer and we just loved that movie and knew that she was a very special filmmaker. Um, and then, so when we finally met, uh, there was just like so much synergy between, um, between our, our visions for the movie and, and even our pitch materials, you know, we got to share kind of notes about, um, winning the job. And, um, and there was just like so many things that overlapped in her pitch, uh, with our pitch. Um, so that was, that was really exciting. And I would say too, that like, um, you know, I didn't really know Chloe as a person I only knew her work and I was really like pleasantly surprised by how kind of like, just, um, just relaxed and casual and funny she is, you know, I remember, um, a lot of the meetings that we had, you know, we would have these like story sessions that would go on for like four or five hours. And at the end of every one, you know, my like my sides were hurting because we just we were just all like telling so many jokes and like giving each other shit and just having like such a such a good time. Um, um, but yeah, so we did these couple drafts and then Chloe came on and then we did um, uh, then we did a couple of drafts with her as a director. Um, but at the time she was also uh, directing Nomadland and she had she just she started shooting, I think, shortly after she came on the movie. So we uh, would only see her like sporadically, you know, we'd see her like once a month. And then we would have like a really, really long session where we would just go over all these notes and, and discuss a bunch of ideas. Um, and then she would go off, go back out to um, South Dakota or wherever she was at the time uh, and just keep filming. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really, um, it was a great um, balance. I think she, she brought a lot of stuff to the project that just kind of um, helped amplify all the themes and ideas that we were already interested in, in exploring.
0: Uh, my next question for you is, were there any challenges you faced creating a new set of characters in an already existing universe?
2: You know, I think any story you tell, you're trying to fit into a box of what people think it's going to be, what they hope it might be. I always use a metaphor when we talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, pretty simply, is that there's no like great master whiteboard in Kevin's office where he's keeping track of every little thing, you know, and I think that's his genius that there isn't an algorithm that makes Marvel special it's that they hire talented people and they support them, you know, and I think that's the people that really makes all Marvel special Victoria Alonzo Kevin Feige and more all the whole Parliament of writer producer writers producers, you know, people that work there They love what they do. So when you're working with Marvel it's really a conversation like you know here's the cup. This is, this is the cinematic university. As long as you can do whatever you want, as long as you don't, you know, uh, destroy the sanctity of what is already there. You can't go, okay, CAP's actually just, you know, a a bunch of bees in a human suit and like that's, that's now canon. You know, it's like you accept what is and you build on that. And I think that's what's so fun. It's like, Kids in a playground, you know, and you're saying, okay, I'm building a sandcastle. And you're like, ooh, I'm going to put a tower here. And you're like, yeah, go build a sick tower over there. Like, that's dope. That's Eternals, you know, and that's literally the process is you're adding and you're playing jazz with each other's creations. And so, you know, Eternals, maybe I would say we were lucky. A lot of people don't have preconceived notions of who they are, what they are, what they're supposed to be. And so for us, it really became a vessel and a vehicle to have these conversations about purpose and love and, ro- and loyalty, um, about God's belief and faith. Um, in a Marvel movie, you know, in a movie about, like, laser beams being shot out of your eyes and dudes flying around fighting monsters. I mean, it's really a movie about missionaries, you know, uh, coming to Earth and questioning their purpose and questioning their faith. Um, and so, for sure, it's, it's really exciting to do something different like that.
4: I love that um, analogy, the jazz, being jazz musician, basically, with what you're given then you guys get to play around with it. Um, so... Eternals has the fairly popular theme of the good of humanity versus the bad of humanity, and is that something you are naturally drawn drawn towards, or is this something new for you?
3: That's something that we're, um, that's something that we're, that we're very interested uh, in exploring that we explore constantly in our work, and I think especially, too, in like the last kind of for years with what we've sort of been going through as a, as a, as a world, um, and as a species, um, that that's become, uh, that's become a, a very big question that's at, at the forefront of many people's minds. You know, I think like the one thing that we're, that I'm at least constant, I'm, a, I'm very interested in exploring constantly. is just the idea, like, are we, um, risen apes or fallen angels, you know, like what is, what is truly human nature, you know, like, um, because we, we did kind of come out of the primordial ooze and rise uh, at, with, by, by using these uh, as hunter-gatherers, basically, as, as, as essentially um, using these uh, aggressive aspects of our personality to basically dominate uh, other tribes or nature itself. Um, and that has brought us a long way, you know? Like, but, but I think what we're finding is that we can't continue to live like that, you know? Like, that, that's not a sustainable lifestyle um and that's not um that's not something that's good for the whole of humanity you know maybe good for some individuals but it's not good for everybody and so those are things that are being challenged um by just um the events of the world and so then naturally they're going to start to influence and impact our our storytelling Um, so that's something that was incredibly uh important to explore in eternal it's just the idea of 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 exploring humanity from its very uh origins up to where we are now and and trying to determine how do we get here and and you know and where are we gonna go from here
2: Uh, i make this joke and you guys are screenwriters so you'll appreciate this i think more than anyone You know, being a screenwriter in 2021 is like the closest I think you can be to a philosopher as a paid job. You know, you're literally sitting around thinking about stuff. You know, your job is a computer. If you're talking to me or listening to this, you have the same tools we do. And a lot of it is in your mind. You know, you're solving big, big puzzles imaginarily in your head. How do these celestial gods line up with this desire and this character's want, means this character's need? And so, you know, I, I don't say it as like a self regrandizement I say it as like, I genuinely believe your job as a screenwriter or as a filmmaker is to like, think deeply about the human experience, you know, experiment and experience and reflect that in your stories and and, and question it and challenge it and, and to make somebody even if they enjoy your movie and laugh and have a good time, maybe they cry a little bit, but by at some point in that process, they're going to go, are we all good all the time? You know, is this, am I making these right choices and to ask big questions? And if you can't do it in a movie with space gods, I don't know when you can, you know. <laughs>
1: um, my next question is, you guys have an amazing cast in here, stellar cast. Uh, did you know already going into the script, who was gonna be cast? Or did you like have the cast that you were like, someone Hayek's to be this character? Like, were you inspired by anyone? Or did you, or was it cast already after the script?
3: Yeah, I mean, that, that was the really cool process of working. The cool aspect of working with Marvel is that, you know, I, I've always tried to picture cast in my mind while I'm writing. Like, it just really helps me see the movie more. Cause really like, to me, like I was an editor for many, many years. And so that's really where I learned storytelling. And while you're, when you're editing, there's so often like you get into a spot where you're like, oh man, if I just had this little piece of movie or something, or I wish they would have said this instead you know, um, but you can't, you can't do anything about it when you're an editor, but when you're a writer, you can, you're, you know, you're making a movie inside your head, so to me, I'm just really making a movie inside my head, and then just simply describing what I see, you know, on the page, and so it really helps me to, to see actors, um, and it, and and helps to capture their voice, you know, and, and sometimes it's just, it is like actors that are, um that we can cast, and sometimes I'm just like, it's really it's got to be gene hackman from the french connection you know that's what i'm picturing and that's just the way that helps me see it um and uh, so anyway with mar but before writing scripts you know you picture these actors and you don't know like how am i gonna ever when you have no agent no way no ends in hollywood how am i gonna ever get to them with marvel it was like we would see an actor in our heads we would make our case and then it's like two weeks later they're like oh yeah selma's in the movie now you know like they had the power to basically make all these things happen and so it was just really exciting um especially when Chloe came on to start to see all these people just kind of like coming in one after another and um and uh and it, it, the movie just kept getting more and more special with every with every uh with every um casting choice
0: can you visualize me apart
3: <laughs> absolutely
0: So you guys mentioned Ruin, your script that topped the blacklist and how it opened so many doors for you. Do you have any specific tips for young writers on how to use or navigate the blacklist or script competitions and such?
2: Yeah, I mean, the blacklist is not a thing that you can, like, call and apply online for as much as I wish that, you know, it were, but I think that that would just be a, a long laundry list you know, as far as I know, the blacklist is just something that sort of happens when you write something great. Um, And I mean, that's like, non facetiously, I think I stand pretty strongly by that. You should just write something that's different. And more importantly, write something that's yours, you know, I think the best advice that anyone can have is like, fail early and often write a bunch of bad scripts before you write the good ones. uh, And then write something that you really believe in, it's really special and, and distinct. Um, I think that's really important. You know, voice. Uh, I didn't read a tremendous amount of scripts before I kind of came to this town because I was really, I found myself more as a filmmaker. Um, But I think as Kurosawa would say, you know, screenwriting is filmmaking. And so, you know, as far as navigating that stuff, apply to the stuff you believe you can win. You know, don't, don't spend your money on things that, are just for, you know, the, 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 long shot, I will say the thing that really changed my life, not in a tangible way, but more in a spiritual way was the Academy Nichols Screenwriting Fellowship. That was something that, uh, it's not tremendously expensive to apply to. I would argue, you know, maybe someone's going to fight me on this. I would argue it's probably like the one screenwriting competition that anyone can enter that like matters. Like if you win that, it'll change your life, you know, for sure. Um, and you could just write a great script and submit it. And so in, in college, like right when I graduated, I wrote a series of scripts with my roommate at the time. We just like lived in this cave and just like wrote movies, um, which is amazing. It's an amazing way to work. And, and we wrote three movies in like nine months. And one of those that we wrote, uh, we submitted two scripts. I submitted one. He submitted the other because we didn't want to you know pay the whole fee. We split it up. And uh, we made it to the semifinals of the Nichols Screenwriting Fellowship, and I was, like, 22 years old. And I remember, like, making it that far to, like, 150, script 150, you know, out of, like, 10,000 submissions. And we started getting, like, cold phone calls from agencies and Gersh and agents and people that really liked the script. And we like, hey, I want to rep you. And my co-writer at the time wanted to direct the movie. We ended up not signing with Gersh. And I have to say, like, in the scheme of life, it probably worked out for the best because maybe I wouldn't be, have written Eternals, you know, in that same series. A lot of things had to go exactly right to find yourself in this position. And so for sure. That was a moment, though, when I got that phone call and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm 22. I'm literally still shooting weddings for a living. But this agent from Hollywood is calling me and saying, like, I loved your script. Like, what's up with that? Like, how do we work together? And that was really a moment. Um, it was a light bulb, you know, where I'm like, oh, I'm good at this. And I, I know how to do this. And it's not just like me struggling um, in the dark. You know, and I think so. That's that's what screenplay competitions and festivals are great for. You know, they, they really can give you... That external validation, which never underestimate the power of external validation. I mean, like someone telling you, hey, like you're really talented. You're like, oh, thank you. I'm gonna like wear that, and am gonna lock it for the rest of my life. Like those things matter. Like give compliments to each other, lift up each other. And that's what I would also say is there's room at the top for everyone. I think there's this fallacy that like it's a dog-eat dog, like cutthroat getting to the top of Hollywood. I found not only to be the opposite, but I always embrace the opposite. I am always trying to lift up other writers and create community because you are stronger together. You know, writers have a tremendous amount of power. You're the ones who generate everything. And most importantly, when you go out and you have a great idea for a script and another writer's reading your script and you're helping them and and you both succeed, it makes you both more powerful. It makes you both um, succeed more. And I think it's also just more fun. You know, it's way more fun to go on the ride with somebody else. So that would be my advice is definitely, you know, they do matter, those festivals, those awards things, they help in so many different ways, and you never know how they're going to help. Um, but yeah, the most important thing is to write something good. And even your family, you know, might be great feedback to read it and go, this is pretty good, like, you should submit this. Um, and also just to remember, it's never good the first time. And a script—a great script takes, I don't know, you know, seven, nine, 20, or two drafts, but it's never going to be like perfect that first pass, you know, so do a couple passes and then submit it, you might change your life.
4: I think that's great advice Um, and especially having other people read it and then yeah it's going down the line of so many different drafts. Uh, So we've talked about writing feature films you both writing feature films and short films when you were younger but have you written other forms of media like tv or plays or dabbled in that at all?
3: Yeah I so I really wrote um, short stories before I wrote any scripted uh, material. Like when I was a, like a teenager, I started just writing, yeah, writing short stories. Um, and then I think I was like, when I was about like 19 is when I wrote my first feature length script. And that was maybe after writing only, probably only writing like three or four shorts. I just decided to just kind of like dive right in. That's been my approach with many things in my life. And, um, and then after that, I just kind of really started to fall in love with writing. And when I was in my early twenties, I actually wrote uh, like a novel um that I was never I never did anything with it it's just in a drawer but I yeah I wrote a novel and um and that was like a just incredibly it was like one of the most um creati- creatively satisfying periods of my life I remember just like I remember like being really um fixated on like word count you know at the time and just being like it start out of being like let's see if I can write 500 words a day and then eventually it kind of kept working up and I was writing like 4,000 words a day and I was just like plowing through this thing and I was just, I was just um just, you know, I was really just doing nothing else besides just living in this kind of novel world um, for, for about uh, like three to six months. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I am personally very interested in other forms of writing and, um, and at some point would love to kind of go back to that and start and write, write some short stories again, write, maybe write a novel one day, but you know, but for now I'm very satisfied um, just working in, uh, in screenwriting slash television.
4: And were those sci-fi too?
3: Sci-fi? No, no, it's very far <laughs> from it. You know, like I have a lot, or very much kind of like an Alexander Payne kind of sensibility, where I just I'm really into like these like tragic comedies that are about sort of mm-hmm. like um, characters who are just basically like lovable losers or who are you know the victims of circumstance in 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 many ways and like Coen Brothers type, type stuff. Like I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. Um, so a lot of, so the novel was very much in, in that vein. And it was just kind of like, it was like a tragic comedy basically. Um, uh, so, and it really, yeah, it had no genre elements in it at all. It is
4: cool. Your comedy comes through in Eternals. I, I yeah. love there's jokes sprinkled all throughout and tragedy.
3: <laughs> yes, yeah, I think it's, you know, important to have have both to give yourself, to give the audience the full experience. That's what they're there for, you know, they want to have, uh, they want to go on a ride and um, you got to put all the like loops and corkscrews in the in the roller coaster to make it be a full experience. (laughs) And
4: that it
2: is. (laughs) Yeah, I I never wrote novels. But for me, you know, I think that it, filmmaking is what I, I kind of call it cultural sculpture. You know, you're like sculpting with sound and people's memories and recollections of a thing and experiences and feelings. You know, movies take things that are hard to understand and they make them easy to feel. And I feel like that has always been something that I've been attracted to. I wrote, you know, dozens of short films, which is a really fun way to practice because I went to film school you know, and I've also written, I don't know, four movies that have never been made and probably will never see the light of day. And that's a great way, again, failing upwards, um, you know, failing often. Um, and Yeah, for me, writing is in so many ways, it's just a, it's a form of expression. You know, and I think Ryan will tell you too, like we're both photographers, we're filmmakers, we write songs, we like poetry. And you know, I don't do these things professionally. I do them because I like them and because they give me pleasure. Um, and I think that all those things you can't just do, uh, grind forever in this one medium, in this one mode, because it not only does it get stale, it doesn't feed you. Um, so yeah, for me, a lot of my writing came from, from reading. I would read novels like nonstop. And that was just such a great way to learn the craft without you even realizing it. You know, you're sitting there and you're just absorbing like the language. You know what I mean? Language is really where it comes down to. I just have a love for that. And I would even say talking, you know, is a form of writing, the way you spin a tale and keep people interested and and the way you structure pauses. And so all those things find their way into screenplays and into the writing. Um, But yeah, I think that there's no right way to begin. I think there's a lot of amazing actors who have never written a thing in their life and then they write an amazing movie and it wins every award and changes the world, you know? The same way that there are editors who write stories and, and there's so many ways you can get into telling a great story, but it all really comes down to that. You know, telling a story is a skill that will never not be useful, whether you're, you know, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, a filmmaker, or just a citizen of the world. You know, it's a really useful skill, and that's what you want to hone, not necessarily, you know, formatting and getting your character spaced you know, at the right center on the page. That stuff um, is secondary. It's definitely secondary to storytelling.
0: Uh, so we have a few minutes left, but before our last question, I have a personal interest in knowing more about your stoner comedy. The aliens are <laughs> stealing our weed. Yes. Uh, uh, can we hear something about that?
3: Yeah. So that was actually a, a script that um, that I that I wrote just kind of on the side, actually, while we were writing Eternals. Like that's when I started it. Um, and you know, I love the experience writing Eternals. Um, And, uh, and it it was it was fantastic. But at the same time, you know, you're writing for a big machine, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And so I just kind of wanted to do something that was a little bit about, like, blowing off steam and just kind of like doing my own version of a save the world movie. Um, And so and so throughout my life, I've always tried to basically combine my passions in my in my art projects. And so I just kind of look at what I'm interested in at the time and then see how I can turn that into something that I can, um, you know, uh, do, do professionally. And so one of my, I've always been interested in aliens. I'm very fascinated by the idea that there's other life out there and that they might ha- have an interest in us in some shape or form. And, uh, and then I've also been very passionate about weed. You know, I've grown up in Northern California. And, you know, now that weed is legal, I can say this and not be locked up. <laughs> but, but uh so I so I you know had this idea of like what if what if the aliens what if aliens came to this planet to basically steal our weed um and that's why they came here and then so it was just about spinning uh, a story um from that and um and I you know I think like so where it kind of nets out um is basically uh I don't know if I should I'll just talk more about the project instead of the story but, um, but it was, it was also like, so it was a script that I wrote, uh, after Eternals and then like one of our last meetings actually that we had before the pandemic was a lunch with Gina Rodriguez and, um, and so we were having this really great lunch with Gina and I hadn't really done anything with aliens up to that point it was just sort of hanging out on my hard drive. And then as we were talking, we were getting along really well. And I was just like, oh, my God, she would be, like, perfect for Candace, for the lead, basically, in this in this stoner comedy. So – and I knew that she had kind of done, like, some of that stuff in some of her other movies a little bit. So I just kind of floated it out to her of, like, hey, I have this, this project. And then she she asked to read it. And um, and just after she read it for the first time, she was just like, I'm in. I'm in. Like, let's do it. And so she's been just an incredible partner. Her and her producing partner, uh, Molly, have just – they basically just um, – are the ones who kind of helped make this all happen, and so Gina's, Gina's been attached, and so then we ended up selling that script uh, to Paramount um, uh, a few months into the pandemic. Actually, we released it on uh, 420 uh, of, of 2020, um, and uh, and Paramount was was the home that we that we thought was the best for it. Um, and so yeah, that project's over there, just cooking. I'm actually about to do a um, another rewrite on that. Uh, to try to get that going early next year.
0: Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing it. Great.
3: (laughs) I'm really happy to hear that.
1: (gasps) Um, So we're pretty much out of time. It's really fast if you want to. One last question. What's your favorite movie or TV show of all time?
3: It's a hard uh, answer, but (laughs) the stock answer that I always give is Boogie Nights. Um, You know, I really love movies and stories that are about kind of like circus families, just people who kind of come together from odd walks of life and and have and find a bond together. And then also that movie is just a really influential movie for me at the time that I was watching it. And I think that I've probably listened to the director's commentary on that movie more times than I've actually even watched the movie itself. Um, and I just was endlessly fascinated by listening to Paul Thomas Anderson discuss filmmaking and I feel like I learned so much uh through that commentary that it's always just held this really special place in my heart and just by coincidence or by a little anecdote Dylan Tishner the wonderful Dylan Tishner um who edited Boogie Nights is actually one of the editors along with Craig Wood on Eternals so uh, I got to meet him through this through this movie and it was really exciting and I got to basically pick his brain about Boogie Nights a little bit and that was kind of a just really fun, uh, fun, circular experience, circular, uh, yeah, <laughs> punchline.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll call that one back. Um, yeah, it's a funny question, you know, because I, I think it, it's very telling about you as a person, but at the same time, you know, for some people, it's just like, oh, I just saw this movie when I was a kid and I loved it. Um, for me, my favorite, one of my favorite films of all time is City of God by Fernando Mereles and Cacio Lund. Um, it is really a transportive work of cinema. And it's also just, it's, to me, it's the definition of cinema because it's a film that can never be recreated. You know, it's, it's like a once-in-a-lifetime, flash-in-a-pan, like, combination of a time and a place and people in a community. Um, and it's an incredibly transportive film that takes you somewhere that most people have never been and will probably never go. Um, but it's also a really universal tale about crime and evil and why people turn to crime and how we get there. Um, If you haven't seen it, must watch. I think nominated for five Academy Awards. But beyond that, it's just like, yeah, it's a movie that even even everyone who made it was like, if we had known how hard it was going to be and how dangerous it was going to be, we would have never made this film. You know, and I think just that's what cinema is. You know, screenplays are incredible and, and we all work in that industry. We spend our days imagining things on paper, but we always, it's never forget that they're just blueprints for a movie. You know, and, and the movie experience, the cinematic experience where you take words and then you put actors and cast and crew and you find these places and the real world imp- you know, imposes its reality on your uh, ideas. That's when movies are really made. You know, then they're forged in that. So um yeah, it's a really special film, and you know, it was life changing for me because after I saw it, I was like, "There are is a whole universe out there where people have complex wants, needs, and desires, and they don't look anything like me or live a life that's anything like mine." Uh, and it was a moment when the world really opened up, and I realized that, um, you know, you, we can be, we all can be a part of it, and you don't need permission to to dump it in.
4: Great. Now we have a good movie list with Boogie Nights, City of the Gods, and uh, Eternals. And the aliens are stealing our weed.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
0: Kaz and Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and your insightful conversations.
2: Uh, We appreciate you guys. This was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, thank God that these are out there. These didn't exist when I was in film school. And I feel like I would have (laughs) been obsessively listening to, you know, Deadline Junkies every single day if I would known.
0: Subscribe for more episodes and check out Sketches, sketches written and performed by Deadline Junkies. Watch it at S-K-E-D-J-E-S Thanks for listening to the Deadline Junkies podcast. Hey,
1: this holiday season, check out Christmas Staycation, a Christmas comedy that we made on Zoom last year that I wrote and directed, and has dozens of Deadline Junkies involved. Kirsten is a supporting character, and Rand also makes a cameo. Buy the DVD at Barnes & Nobles, Best Buy, and Walmart. You can also stream Christmas Staycation on Vimeo, Hoopla, and FlixFly. More info at xmasstaycation.com and follow us on Twitter at xmasstaycation.